Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial Professor Lily, or as you may more commonly know me as a happy hermit, and this is the unofficial SJM 101. Today, tonight, evening. It's evening. I did say I was going to stop recording in the evening because I tend to get a little loosey-goosey, but I'm going to make an exception because this is a chaos episode. And this particular chaos episode is solely for me because I am a selfish creature. And while this is supposed to be a class for you, it is also most of the time it feels like it's a class for me. Um, and today is not even really a class. It's like a lecture. It's like we're FaceTiming. It's a phone call. I finished House of Sky and Breath today. I finished my official reread, my official tabbed reread. You, my house tab in all its glory is is so beautiful. It's probably my most beautiful tabbed book I've ever done. I have grown so much as an annotator. And today I want to just go over all of my lingering questions. There's questions that are theories. There are questions. Um, where I'm like, hmm, what could this be? Like that kind of thing. But these are like really deep questions that I think are more questions that affect the plot line of House of Lame and Shadow or the future of the Crescent City books. So I'm going to be talking all things House, Sky, and Breath today. So if you haven't finished reading House, Sky, and Breath, save this, follow me, come back and join the conversation when you're done. And just to be safe, because I really, I have no notes today. Like I have my, my book next to me. I'm just going to let myself process how sky and breath. Like, when I tell you I was, like, feet kicking, giggling, like, screeching at the end, like, that's the high I'm riding on, that, like, last chapter, how sky and breath that I'm writing on. So today's episode is really different in the sense that we've done chaos episodes before. We've done episodes sort of like this, but not in its this way. Um, and I know that... I don't know if this is going to be a particular format that most people like, but I feel like for me, I just want to be able to like fully process what I just finished. And I'm really a verbal thinker as I've come to learn, like, like doing this podcast is like, you know, I start reading out loud or I start talking and like things just kind of like unwork for me as I'm talking out loud to you guys. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted for this episode is just like to just you know? So I don't speak for Sarah and I don't speak for Bloomsbury. This is my book. These are my thoughts. This is what I'm still left with at the end of this magnificent book. That ending of this book is just... The last, like, 400 pages of House Sky and Breath is nothing short of astonishing, I feel like. It's a wild ride. There's so many things happening, so many moving pieces, and they're all flying towards this one thing, you know? And I'm just really excited to get back at that, uh, to, 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 un, to, to just sit there with all these pieces that are unraveling before us. So um, I talk weird. I mess up on things. You know, I'm, I'm really trying to get better every day and to understand the language better every day. So if I mispronounce something, just continue to have grace for me. Thank you so much for the continued grace that you guys have for me. And I'm really going to try not to go on, like, too much of tangents. I want to try and, like, rapid fire from, like, the beginning to the end um, just as much as I can and just kind of, like, let my free-flowing thoughts just, like, flow towards you guys. And next week, I already started doing notes for it. 
it'll be a very well constructed like deep dive into all of the shadow powers um so don't worry if you guys just want to like check out for this week I totally understand this is a weird episode um but yeah so I want to just like get into it and the reason like I really just want to do this like I know I'm kind of like explaining a lot and I feel like I need to justify this episode and I kind of feel like I do need to justify this episode because there's not a lot of time left um before Hofas. but this book really is a big question like every single piece of it is a big question and I think that we should just like sit with that and like sit with the pieces that Sarah's just like okay I'm gonna plant I'm gonna put these places like I'm moving them places and I really just want to like I feel like that's what the the best part of these books is is the questions and the theories and trying to figure out where they all place to so I want to do that my very first question came when we got Sophie's perspective it was like the first big question that I circled and it's when they're talking about the Ophian Rebel Command. We learn later in the books, my question is, who is Command? We learn later in the books, it says, Ophian has about 10,000 members left, controlled by a team of 20 in Command. Most of them are humans, but some of them are Vanir. Any Vanir affiliated with Ophian, Command or not, are sworn to secrecy, perhaps even stricter standards than the humans. When I first started, like, I latching on to the command, I hadn't realized it, but it came actually from that mental breakdown and subsequent episode that we ended up having where we ended up deep diving into the mystics when we learn at the very end of House of Sky and Breath that Rigula says, We were eventually notified by one of our mystics here who learned it from prying into the mind of one of Ophian's command. So we did a little tugging and pointed Micah towards the synth towards Danica. I did not, like, I was so focused on the fact that a mystic could rip into the mind of someone, which still baffles me to this day, but the fact is I never picked up that it was command, that it was one of the, one of the leaders of the rebel unit. Do they know that one of their command has been compromised? Were they captured? Like, what happened here? So, I just want to know, who is this command, first of all? We learned that Plenty of them, there are plenty of females in command from Cormac. They're obviously not, I mean, they let Pippa um, be as crazy as she is. But, like, they've been working under the radar. They've been working for this long. They have to be, like, higher, like, the, 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 the secrecy around them, 20 people, some of them are Vanier. Like, do we know them? Do we know who they are? Have we met one before? Are they hiding under our noses? Is Jezebel one of them? Is Fury one of them? Like, the questions are endless on this. And I could probably go into a big old, like, deep divey tailspin on, like, who could be part of Command. You know, I don't think the Autumn King is. I don't think the Stag King is. But there has to be some kind of correlation between the Stag King and Command because somehow Command was able to recruit Lydia and Cormac, both with ties to Stag-like people. So, like, there has to be something there. But I don't know what. I can't grasp it. Like, this is, like, such an open-ended question, and I think it's really important because, like, are they gonna be on the team of the good guys? Like, we, we know throughout the books that, like, you can't trust the rebel unit because they're 
they're like rightfully so they've taken things far and like you can kind of sympathize with them to to a point but also like you can't side with the Asteri so like when they do come to take over or to to duke it out with the Asteri and we have this big old power balance who is going to be on what side like Lydia works with them does she actually trust them or is she just working with a lesser evil does she did they Lydia says she has like a whole plan for when things finally fall apart like she seems to have some idea of what needs to happen to get people the right people in in quote-unquote power to to correct the the imbalances and, and whatnot and how much does command actually know like we know that Sophie was planning on using it, using her information from the Dusk Truth Room and probably Project Thur as leverage. But, like, do they know to what extent the exterior are doing? Do they know who was close last time? Like, I, I don't know why this, this is bothering me so much and why this is, like, one of my final questions is, like, when I came out of House of Sky and Breath was, like, okay, who is this command? And can we trust them? Are they good guys? Like, will the rebel unit be good in the end? My next question is also, like, I think a lot of it always is going to stem back to that ending bit in, you know, from chapter 72 to the end of House of Sky and Breath. But it started, my question started with when Danica and Sophie start their emailing, they're emailing back and forth. And the name of their, like, email chain is Dusk's Truth. And we later learn when Bryce is going through there. She says, The doors along this stretch had been named similarly to each other, not in code, but along a theme. Dawn, midnight, midday. She had no idea what any of the names meant or what lay beyond the door. But another one at the center caught her, snared her eye. Dusk. She slipped inside. And that's when she sees the orrery and she learns the truth about all the other planets. But if Sophie hadn't even gone, gotten in to the Asteria's palace, how did they know about the Dusk Truth? Where did that, where did that even come from? Like that email chain. So like that's where it started. And now my question is, if all of that stuff was in the Dusk Room, the Orrery, the planets, um, the stuff that they learned about the habitations and all that, the, the creatures and their magic and all that stuff. What's in dawn, midday, and midnight? What's in those doors? Like, I gotta know. I have to know. What is in those doors? If Dusk had this huge bombshell, what's behind door number one, two, and three? Like, Bryce hit the jackpot, fine. She picked door, she picked door number four and she picked right. But it's eating me alive to think that there could potentially be more. Like, how could there be more, like, jaw-dropping information? Like, I have no doubt that there is. But, like, how, like what is it? What's on those doors, like, in those rooms? Oh, she's in the library, and she sees, like, tax records, agriculture, water processing. And then she sees the doors. So, I, I gotta know. What are in those doors? Is, you know, you gotta think, like, Dawn? Tower of Dawn? Midnight, I think I want to say like night courts, but like in Tower of Dawn, I'm just, I'm literally spitballing here. Like these are just vibes. These are just my like first thoughts. I'm trying to like clear it up. So in Tower of Dawn, we have the dead necropolis where they learn the truth about the Valk and we learn that there's like a whole dead city 
under there. And it's telling the story of the dawn of time, right? With the first war, which we've screamed about in the very beginning of this podcast, which is why I, you know, I think that the timelines light up and like the first war that they had in Throne of Glass lines up with like the rifts and stuff opening. So like Dawn, Tower of Dawn, maybe the Dead City, something along that lines, maybe even where those Fey healers like disappeared. Cause like remember the the Fey healers like just like disappeared one day from the southern continent after they had embedded the land with magic and they locked their bodies away so they couldn't be used again or something like that. So there's that. Midnight, you gotta think like I mean, obviously, my first thought would be, like, the Night Court, Ramil, like, something like that. We know that there's that monolith atop of Ramil. We know that there's, like, the rite, the blood rite with the Illyrians and, like, the weird magic. And, like, there could be something underneath Ramil that gets foreshadowed in in Akasif. Like, maybe that. And then midday. Like, <sighs> midday... I don't want to think everything goes back to, like, Perithian, because, like, the Asteri weren't even on Perithian. At least the Crescent City Asteri weren't on Perithian. So, maybe Dawn is Aurelia healers, maybe even, like, the, the death matings that we learn at the end of Koa, and then Midnight could be, like... I don't even... I Literally, I have no idea, but, like, it was brought up. There's a sequence for a reason I feel like I'm like not making any sense but like that's why my brain is like I'm circling and I'm circling I'm circling I'm grasping at straws trying to figure out what's behind these two doors or these four these three doors four doors altogether three doors that were left unopened so I have in my book I was like kind of spitballing I was like are they other planets could they be gods like we know that Thur like Project Thur was the closest anyone else had come other than Danica to learning the truth, but we also know that Thur was a demigod. Thur made a sword, or the making of the sword, and it looked like Hunt, so we can kind of assume it like goes in with Thur. And then we also know Thur is a planet from the astronomer's door. Like, there's, like, a thing. So, like, could they be planets? Could they be gods? Could they be both? Like, is there something along those lines? I don't know. But how did Danica know Dusk's truth before they had even gotten into the Asteri's archive? Where did she learn that knowledge? And did she know what was behind the other doors? Because I don't think we're done with Danica's, with what Danica knew. And I, I could go, you know, on tangents about Danica and I won't. But, like, what else did she know? Like, she knew a lot, but what else did she know? Did I have to go back with um, what she had learned about the the erasure like how they erase the history of the wolves is it tie back to that like you know what i mean before i move on to the other one i almost forgot the autumn king knew the what was written on sophie's arm how did he know and then we learn that what was the declan says it's a total nonsensical way of numbering rooms he muttered typing away on the sectional of the couch so how are there also coordinates, but there's also names? Like, did they, did Bryce actually go through the right door? Or was there more? That seems wild, but like, was it a code? Like, because the, what is, she, they have the number, at least some of it, somewhere. 
Yeah, it's right here. Door 7 Eta dot 3 Alpha Omega. So I was trying to work it out. I was like 7E, 7E dot 3AO, 7E D 3AO, but Alpha and Omega, like the beginning and the end, that could also tie into it. Like there's also like, there's probably like Roman numerals I don't even know about. Like I kind of like, I spent the whole book waiting for like us to get what the, what Sophie's arm, like the whole sequence was. And we like, almost never did and then I was like just giving up like it was just gonna be yada yada kind of thing but then we actually do get a piece of it and I'm like okay she actually gave us a piece of it is there something like is there something we can know from that but like I don't know again how did the autumn king know it how did Danica know about dusk truth before she like oh I can't even I know I'm just like repeating myself but that's how I feel inside of my head one thing that kind of scares me going into House of Flame and Shadow, especially because House of Flame and Shadow is like the home of the Underking, it's the Underking's like, you know, realm or whatever, is, and it's something that like I do not feel like the fandom like think talks, it's something I don't think the fandom talks enough about, is Bryce's bargain with the Underking. How she traded her place in the Bone Quarter. For Danica, right? So, and and Hunt starts kind of like brushing up to the question, but he's like, "What does that mean? Is she just gonna like? There's no place for her. So, does she get ushered straight through like to the gate? Like, what does that essentially mean? And do like with everything that we know is going on in the Bone Quarter, like we still don't know where Connor is or what's going on with him. Like we know that the Under King is." N- is going against natural law. Are the other resting realms going against natural law? Like, we know that Hypaxia bargained away something for her mom not to have to go there, and we know that there's other stuff going on. Even in Kingdom of Ash, Kelton is talking about how there's stuff going on in the dead, like, in their dead realm. I don't know if it's the same thing, but she's, like, she kind of starts pushing Dorian to the question and Dorian's just like eh I'll talk, I'll think about it later and I'm like Dorian no we need to think about it now because it actually is bearing to the other books that you don't know anything about but like for me bestie can we please talk about it now um is is that gonna be a major plot point not only like if Bryce dies is it like immediately game over like there is no reviving her which is a whole other thing that like Hepaxia can like actually bring someone back from the dead I don't even want to think about that, but, like, it, like that something, I don't know. My biggest thing is I think that someone's going to have to, like, defeat the Underking, essentially. Like, something's going to have to go on in the Dead Realm, and for that to happen, somebody has to die. And obviously we know, like, maybe Cormac is dead. Could it be him? We know that Rune's prophecy is sketchy at, like, in the least it's sketchy as in like he might just not have kids but in the farthest aspect like him and Bryce could die because like the line shall end with you Rune Dannon right um is either Rune or Bryce gonna have to like be dead <laughs> and and defeat them to like save the people from being food and herded to set the balance again like there's something here and I think it stems all the way back to, like, her bargain with 
the Under King. So that's kind of why I think maybe Bryce is going to have to be the one to do that. But like Bryce has got a full plate like already. So it kind of makes me think of Rune, which scares the life out of me. It scares the life out of me because like I want baby Rune to be okay. I don't want him hurt. I'm terrified enough for him and Lydia like going in to House of Flame and Shadow because Rune notes that their scents have definitely merged or like you can smell Rune on her like faintly. And he's like, nobody else would notice, but like, you know, him. But Mordok is there, and Mordok is a bloodhound, and bloodhounds can tell mates. So, like, I'm ter- like, I don't want to scare you guys, but, like, I literally ga- like, when I got to that part, I gagged thinking, like, fear. Like, straight fear that Mordok is going to figure out that they're mates, and they're going to use that against them somehow. Like, we know that from the first line that we got from Bloomsbury, all those- months ago that still haunts me to this day like the hind knelt but the hind knelt before her undying masters and wondered what it'd be like to slit their throats or whatever right so like for now we can assume they don't know but like what if mordok is playing a long game like there's so much to that i'm off topic obviously because i'm just thinking about all the things that scare me all the things that are lingering in my head right now but i think that it's gonna have to come back to bryce's bargain because that's never like fully talked about and like hunt starts to think about it starts one like wondering what it means and what what the possible outcomes could be and i'm like i wonder if like okay maybe that's something that we need to be talking about as well like we need to be thinking about as well but it scares me because like oh it just terrifies me so basically bryce just can't ever die which isn't an option or they need to fix what's going on in the dead realm and how do you do that someone has to be dead right or maybe hypaxia could do it i don't know i really don't know and it scares me it scares me so bad like i'm literally just like dumbfounded thinking about like the terror that i have thinking about bryce or rune like having to die quote-unquote for a purpose even if they like even the idea of them being, like, working with Hypaxia and being like, okay, I'm gonna die and take care of the stuff that's going on in the dead realm and then you'll revive me in, like, 20 minutes. Okay, cool. Like, break team. Like, <sighs> Terrifies me. I have something else to add about the scene when they're in the Under King's whatever. So, I mean, there's a few things in, in the Bone Quarter scenes that, like, leave me just, like, in this soupy mess of, like, what, what, what? And one of them, the biggest one, and I don't really even want to get into it, but, like, I will just for the sake of this episode, because it's on my mind, obviously, is, like, the Under King eats first light, the Asir eat first light, Striga essentially eats first light, the Valg eat first light, Daglin eat first light, so, like, is it... Is it that they're all the same being or is it all these different beings learned the same taste? And that's a spiral we've been on a hundred million times. But there's something else that happens in the Bone Quarter that raised my heckles when I was reading. And it was, The crystal of the dead gate began to glow white, not from her touch, but as if, and then she cuts off, the reapers were chanting, awakening the dead gate somehow. And then she goes on talking about how she siphoned from the gate before, but what if this one sucks into it? Basically talking about balance, ascent for me. 
And then she's like, what if the dead gate was somehow different, which makes sense to me. And then she says, further down, she says, the reapers kept chanting and the dead gate glowed brighter. What were they chanting? What were they trying to achieve? Were they activating it? And if they are, it rem- like, were they using the word? Because it reminds me so much of when Aelin in Crown of Midnight creates the gate. She literally creates a gate to communicate with the dead. She uses her, her blood and the stone wall and word marks, but she chants the entire time. And she says, like, she felt like she was chanting for days. It hurt her throat. It burned, like, blah, 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 like, using this, like forbidden language was like rough or whatever but she just kept doing it kept doing it whatever and then she did like it reminds me of the same thing but I don't know what to to what end were they were these reapers trying to achieve were they trying to send Bryson Hunt through it like it wasn't a hundred percent clear because if that's what they were doing why send the shepherd after them I guess but then it leads into like my next thing is like what the heck did Hunt do what the heck did Hunt do? So, Bryce and Hunt are mates, right? We have this canon confirmed now by Sarah. Mates are supposed to be equal. I'm all over the place. Oh my goodness. But mates are supposed to be power, like, equal. Bryce could siphon off from the gate. That's where she got her original power, right? Hunt does the exact same thing, but a little bit different. He goes, Sophie and Emil Renstadt could channel energy too. Lightning. Hunt was no thunderbird, but could he do the same? Lightning flowed into his veins. His body erupted. His body was equipped to handle raw, sizzling energy. Was this what Apollyon had hinted at? Why the prince had wanted not only him and Bryce, but Emile and Sophie. How the prince of the pit engineered this situation, manipulating them into coming to the bone quarter, so that Hunt would be forced to realize that he could do what he could do with his own power. Perhaps Emile hadn't even come here at all. Perhaps the Reapers had lied to them that Apollyon's behest just to get them here to this place, to this moment. And then he slams his hand into the dead gate. And then it cuts into Bryce's perspective. And it says, white blinding first light, or was that second light, flowed from the dead gate up his arm, up his shoulder, and onto the other side of the archway. The stone began to go dark as if he were draining it. And then it goes on to say, when it cuts back into his perspective, it says, The first light had flayed him, leaving a smoking ruin inside his body, his mind. But it had worked. He had taken the power and converted it into his own. Whatever the fuck that meant, Apollyon had known, or had guessed, to be right. And Bryce, the sword, she had been a conduit of his power. And we learn that she is, like, she can use his power, but there's something, like, really interesting that happens when Bryce and Hunt, like, merge. I'm gonna say that in a polite way. But, like, Hunt goes on to say, like, he keeps a kernel of her power in him for some amount of time, and that he felt like he could create, like, universes with it. Like, what did Hunt do, and how could Hunt do it? And I guess that, like, leads back into, like, the hunt thing. And, like, I really don't want to get into the hunt thing because, like, that's something I could talk just, like, hours on. And I really should have just, like, full notes on hunt to do that. Um, But essentially, like, yeah. So we know that Bryce can take Hunt's power and then channel it into more power, right? Or it charges her power. But hunt could essentially take her power and not just 
amp up her power, like, his power, like, she did, but, like, he could create something with it, like he did with the dead gate. Like, he took... He took it and then turned... I don't even know. Like, what were the Reapers doing? And then, how did Hunt use that to his advantage? What does that mean that he could take all that raw power and then Bryce became his conduit? And is that why... Everybody wants them together. I have, like, a wicked, unhinged theory that I'm, like, working out of, like, Bryce and Hunt being a nebula, like, together. Like, a nebula is where, like, stars are created. I know that sounds really ridiculous, but, like, I've been trying to understand the starborn power, like, because it's more than just blinding. And there's, like, some kind of, like, zero gravity, which we've talked about, um, that happens when Bryce uses her power, like, throughout House of Earth and Blood and a few other times. Um, like, her hair floats, debris floats, dust floats, like, things start floating. And, like, that feels like zero gravity, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. What am I, this episode is cursed. Um, how did I even get here, you know? This is the, this is the HOSAB madness. Like, this is the fever. Like, there are, like, there's this thing when hunters, like, get a deer, they have buck fever, like, they get, like, shaky and, like, like, amped up. Like, that's how I feel about finishing House of Sky and Breath. I have HOSAB fever. And I am infected. Like, like, infected. And it causes me to just become a muttering mad woman. Going from point A to point Z and then back to point A. And then, but detouring into E and F and O. Multiple O's. <laughs> Sorry. That was a bad joke. I just flipped into it, but it literally where I was talking about, like, the creation, mother, cauldron, nebula, starbornness with Hunt and Bryce, right there, he says, had made their magics merge. He didn't know how to describe it. The feeling of her magic winding through him, like he had existed all at once and not at all, like he could craft whatever he wished from thin air, and nothing would be denied to him. Did she live with this day after day, that pure sense of possibility? It had faded since they had teleported, but he could still feel it there in his chest where her handprint had glowed, a slumbering little kernel of creation. When their magics merged... So, like, I literally don't know what it means. Like, I, like, this is such a key piece of information. I know I need to just sit with it longer than I just finished House of Sky and Breath and I'm recording a chaos episode, but this is the working pro, like, this is how I am, like, this is the beginning of, like, theory episodes. Like, it just starts with me, like, muttering and writing in my journals and, like, fit, trying to, like, piece together, like, all this canon information. And I'm just doing it verbally out loud, but... I just found another piece to the puzzle. This is why I shouldn't do chaos episodes. <laughs> but it says, Hunt says, See if it really was our powers merging, she asked Hunt. How do you feel? Fine, he said. I think I kept a kernel of your power in me for a while, but it's gone quiet. Gone quiet, but not gone. But not gone. Could he use it? What does that mean? Gone quiet. Oh. 
Okay, this next one, moving off topic, but staying kind of in topic because the topic in the SJM universe is always word marks. When they're in the, they're coming through the sub, like, and they're they're with the river court. Um, it says, the city ship began sailing along the floor of the canyon. The seabed unusually flat and broad between the towering cliffs. They passed a half-crumbling pillar and cut off. Are those carvings? Rune asked, as Sendez led them back down the hall. Yes, she said a shade softly, from a long, long, from long, long ago. Therian said, what was down there? He scanned the passage walls of the canyon floor, all of them carved with strange symbols. This was a highway, not as you will find above the surface, but a grand avenue the Myrrh once used to swim between great cities. I never heard of anything out here. It's from long ago, she said, a bit tightly, like it was a secret. Bryce said from the back, I used to work in an antiquities gallery, and my boss once brought a statue from a sunken city. I always thought she was fudging the dates, but she said it was almost... 15,000 years old, that it came from the original beneath, as old as the Asteri, or at least their arrival to Midgard. Sendez's expression remained neutral. Only the Ocean Queen can verify that. Rune peered through the glass again. So the Myrrh once had cities down here. Then she says, we once had many things. And then they kind of just like stop the conversation, basically. There is, like, this under, like, theme in all the SJM books of, like, underground tunnels. So we know that in Perithian, you can get to, in the first book of Akatar, if I remember correctly, when she goes, when Feyre goes to meet Amarantha, Alice goes to bring her and it was supposed to be like a four day like or not even four day it was supposed to be like over a week to get from the spring court to the middle um what's it oh the under the mountain mountain because it doesn't actually have like a real name and it used to be one of their sacred mountains and she takes her to this like I think they even call it like a portal or a gate but essentially she brings her there and then Pharaoh walks for like maybe a day and then she somehow transported, like, across Perithian. And it was said that they were used to be, like, their sacred, like, tunnel pathways. And then, essentially, Eris is, like, basically trying to say, like, there's stuff underneath Ramil as well. And, like, he's been traveling around Perithian pretty sneakily. So, like, we have these underway, underwater pathways here. We have the hidden tunnels that go from the original old, old castle in Rifthold that goes to the Truth God's Forgotten Temple. We have those tunnels. There are probably more than I, I can't even think of right now, like in, in Tog. Oh, there's like those undertunnel waterways in Wendelin as well. So there's something going on here, especially because there are word marks, and she, like, we're told that they created the myrrh, the Asteri created the myrrh, but this was here before? Make it make sense. 
And also, can we just, for a second, and I know whenever I have the chance to bring it up, but the, the Ocean Queen, the Ocean Queen, the River Queen, they're as old as the Asteri. Why does nobody find that fishy? What? But, like, literally fishy. Like, nobody questions that? Not a single person? The Viper Queen's basically old as dirt. The River Queen, like, and they're supposed to be descended of gods? Like, who are their parents? Who, Organit, Organit, or, oh my goodness, now I can't even pronounce it. Organis was their mother, right? The Lady of Many Waters, something like that, and I can't even remember her name. Who did she father? Like, who was the father? Because we're only told that there's Solus, Cathona, Erd, and Organus out of, oh, and Luna, out of the gods. Like, there's only one male. So, who's their father? Who is messing around with a quote-unquote god? And what happened to their parents? Where are the gods? What's going on with them? Like, I, I think we mentioned it in an episode not that long ago, if I'm remembering, like, somewhat correctly, when they're talking about the autumn equinox. I feel like we talked about it on the podcast, but I really can't remember anymore. Um, that they say, like, they're prepping for Cathona's slumber on, like, the Day of the Dead. What? What do you mean she's slumbering? Is she even ever awake? Where is she? What is she doing? Like, Bryson, oh, I could go on and on and on about these kind of questions that just play in the background of my mind while I'm driving or doing the dishes or out to dinner or th playing fetch with my dogs or reading other books. Like, they just kind of, like, are on a loop in the back of my head and it's just, like, starting from point A and ending up in, like, literally algebra. Like, I'm literally doing algebra to try and figure out what is going on here. Because they all, like, circle each other, but they're not quite touching, but sometimes they do touch and... Ah, the last thing I want to talk about is, like, I don't know what... I mean, it's, uh, everything. We've talked a lot of questions throughout HOSAB already through the podcast. These are just my lingering, like, things that I've, like, latched on and I haven't gotten to talk about yet that are, like, you know, there are other big questions we've we've circled and chewed on and spit out and chewed back on and spit back out and chewed back on this is stuff like things that I think are are going to be important in like an underlying way and one of these underlying things that I think is going to be really important is what we end up learning about Celestia and what Celestia has Hunt working on so we learn that Celestia she stayed out of the spotlight She's oversee she oversees Nia, population like 50. She has one legion under her command. One. She doesn't even have the Angel Guard. The Legion literally is controlled by the Asteri, all watchdogs for the Northern Rift. She's a figurehead. And then all of a sudden she gets promoted to Lunathian Lunathan, right? Sus. That's sus regardless, okay? But then we learn that Celestia starts working with Hunt and she starts giving him ports on this crazy activity that's going on just after she left Nia. And Hunt goes on to say when he's talking to Bryce, so it's these big stack of reports about all different types of demons, 
all that like basically are like the rarest of the rare that come from Apollyon himself, essentially, is what he says. And then Hunt's talking to Bryce about it after he warns Therian about it. And he goes on to tell Bryce, he's like, I've never seen this much activity except for when the gate was open last spring. Okay? Even the Autumn King starts talking about this. When, oh, one of my favorite scenes in this whole book is the scene between Bryce and the Autumn King when she's at work. And he goes on to say, am I, did you not kill an archangel this spring? Are you not now at the mercy of the Asteri? Demons, are demons not once more creeping through the northern rift in greater numbers than ever before? And then Hunt says... If hell's amassing armies, then these demons must have a vanguard coming to test the defenses around Nia. But they need to find a way to open the northern rift entirely. Yeah, he eyed Bryce. Maybe Adis has been buttering you up for that. And, like, we get all of this information. I mean, not all of it. We get, like, hardly anything about the northern rift. Adis talks about the northern rift in House of Earth and Blood. He says, you do realize that it might not be my people. The Northern Rift opens to many other places, other realms, yes, but other planets as well. What is help at a different planet bound to yours by a ripple in space and time, right? So we're learning that this rift occasionally pops out a demon or two. Hunt talks about it. That's how we get like crossbreed things. That's kind of what he's been working dealing with he says specifically for the last 20 years or 20 plus years which i've pointed out is the exact same age as bryce which is suspicious so we get all this information about the northern rift and how this like heightening demon activity this is all suspicious this is all something i'm questioning but in the back of my mind i cannot help but question what is going on at the southern rift I have learned with the Asteri and with the Princes of Hell, it's not what they tell you. Because 90% of the time it's lies. It's not what they tell you that you need to be focusing on. It's what they don't tell you. So we learn in chapter 18 of House of Earth and Blood. Hell was severed to them by time and space, but still accessible through the twin sealed portals at the northern and southern poles. The northern rift and the southern rift respectfully or by idiots who tried to summon them, blah, 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 right? That's the, that's the first and only thing we learn about the Southern Rift in House of Earth and Blood. And then in House of Sky and Breath, we learn almost nothing. Again, the Southern Rift is only mentioned twice in both the books. And the second and last time is the Asteri had lured them all to this world from other planets somehow using the northern and southern rift or whatever way they traveled between worlds they'd drawn them to this place to farm them to feed on them forever we only learn that there's activity going on in the northern rift that's the only activity they want us to know but what are they not telling us what is going on in the southern rifts can can somebody like does that have cracks who's patrolling that What's getting in through that? Why is it just the northern rifts? Ugh. I feel like I need to put my tinfoil hat off. I need to just put the book down. Step away. Step away from the book. Lillian. Deep breath. Tinfoil crown off. Because when I tell you we got to the end, to the scene 
where Bryce is in Perithian. I feels like I feel whenever I talk about that end scene, I always just like flinch a little bit because I'm like, oh, what if somebody actually hasn't finished reading it? <laughs> um, I was reading the scene. This is, I'm I'm done with the episode. You guys can just like click off. I'm done talking. I don't even know if anybody followed me through this freaking episode. Um, I was just having some theories about Truth Teller and and Gwydion and what Truth Teller's real name could be. And boy, does that last chapter just leave you a mess? Can I like um like there is it is such a core memory, a core moment. Rereading it, annotating it, highlighting that last line. Hello, Bryce Gwynlin. My name is Resand. I feel like I'm going to go into, like, the Inigo Montoya, like, iconic line. You know, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father, prepared to die. I feel like it's like, hello, Bryce Gwynlin. My name is Resand. Welcome to Valaris, the city of dreamers. Like, <sighs> the city of starlight. Oh, my goodness. Starlight, Starborn, like, getting to this last chapter, it just, it's, it reignites that flow of insanity, and I'm ready to just, like, dive headfirst into House of Flame and Shadow immediately right now. Like, the, the fact that I still have, like, three months, less than three months, oh, thank the Lord, less than three months of this of all these little pieces oh till like i will finally know if when bryce like the she talks like this at the very end she's like trying to tell them like if they destroy the core and then rigelis cuts them off if they destroy the core i am betting all that i know on my knowledge of koa that if they destroy the core of, like, the batteries and whatever's going on in the Asteria's palace, that all of the magic will return back to the people. Because of what happens in Koa with Dorian and the seeds of light that he took from the spider. And when he took the seed of light, like, he, he analyzed it and then he let it go back into the ether and it went immediately back to Lysandra's uncle and he got all of his magic back and he got all of his youth back and I just I just I had this feeling that that whole piece of information was put in Koa for a reason and then Bryce is like destroy the core and I'm like you destroy the core you let all of that first light out what's gonna happen it's gonna burst and then go back because even Hypaxia is talking about how the witches are like learning that they even their magic is fading. So the Fae, oh, I just I have a feeling that everyone's drop it will go back to them essentially because it's a cycle, right? It's kind of like rainwater. We should have an episode on first light. Have I? T I feel like I've said I've wanted to do that before. I feel like we should have an episode on First Light because I feel like that's something that we really should dive into and, like, get all the canon information out. Maybe that'll be after Shadows because, hmm, there's a lot of stuff going on with First Light because it heals, it feeds people, keeps them young. <sighs> I finished House of Sky and Breath. Like, I'm done. I'm done tabbing it and now I'm kind of sad 
I feel like that's part of why I held off doing my reread for it, because I was just, like, holding on to, like, this little bit of, like, well, I haven't finished doing my reread yet, so, like, uh, uh, but now I'm, like, I'm done. I'm literally holding this book in my hand, this freaking brick, and I'm done, and it's beautiful, and it's perfect, and there's, like, so much in it. I'm literally flipping through it. Hunt's crown? Do you know how many times Hunt has a crown in this book? Like, talk about foreshadowing. I don't know what kind of crown. It spooks me. Ugh. The Pegasus in, the like, the first chapter when Bryce and her mom are before they go to the ballet and, like, they see someone riding on a, on a Pegasus and she's, like, badass, um, JJ, um, like, I I wonder if that was, like, a, like, Thea or one of the missing daughters, like, on the Pegasus. Like, oh, there's, like, so many things. Because she says she can't tell, like, what, who the writer is. Like, if it's male or female. And I'm like, I bet it was a female from the dust court. And that's all the stuff I'm thinking about now. I'm like, I just want to go right back into Akatar. I want to go right back into Akatar immediately right now. Which is the exact same feeling I had when I first finished House of Sky and Breath. I, like, literally the next day I picked up Akatar. And that's how I feel right now. Ugh. It's so, ugh. Thank you guys so much for this podcast. Like, for, you guys asked for it and I was like, ah, I don't know, maybe. Like, a podcast? I don't even know how to do that. What would I even talk about? And, like, now every week I'm just, like, blabbling on for an hour. And I still have things, like, I could still go on. I could, like, I could just sit here with my book and just flip to a random page and be like, uh, chapter 55. I needed to charge, like, a battery. Bryce said, the scar on her chest glowing faintly. You mean like a siphon? Like, literally, I could, like, I, any page. It's amazing. It's astounding. And I feel like I'm, like, losing my voice over it. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm on the high again, and I, and I love it. And I really just have you guys to thank for that, like, keeping this joy alive for, and the momentum going for two years together us you me on my bed still just 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 chatting about our favorite roman empire ah <laughs> uh, you guys are so good to me so good to me i'm like eternally grateful for every single one of you guys and finishing this book and having this, like, you know, the pride of finishing a book is just, like, I just want to, like, I feel like I have to thank you guys because you guys are, like, my driving force to just continue staying in the zone and spreading the joy and fun. And I just love it. So thank you so much for all of that. And I will see you guys next week where we're going to talk about the Shadow Powers. We're going to talk about Reese, Rune, Cormac, Shadow Singers, Darkbringers. Lorcan, the bone cover! Um, and just kind of like gloss through all the different shadow powers. And then, yeah, I'm really excited about that. So I'll see you next week. I hope you guys have a great week. Goodbye!